Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, as we get into week four of this series 12, today on Mother's Day, we're going to talk about family. More specifically, we're going to talk about a set of two brothers who were disciples, followers of Jesus. So this series 12 is taking a look at the original 12 disciples, the original followers of Jesus, the guinea pigs of faith, if you will. And again, today we're going to look at two brothers, pretty well-known brothers, at least one of them is very well-known, the other one uh, sort of, but we'll look at his story as well. They're, They're very much connected at the hip in their time as disciples of Jesus, So this week, we're going to look at the disciples, James and John, the two brothers, the two disciples, James and John. Now, these two brothers, they were known as the sons of Zebedee. So Zebedee, he owned a fishing company, uh, and they were his sons, and also they were, you know, part of the business. Growing up, fishermen's sons, they joined the business when they were old enough, and uh, so they were known as sons of Zebedee. We'll actually look at their mom for Mother's Day as well here this morning in just a few minutes. But Jesus, as they follow Jesus and are his disciples, he also has a nickname for them. So they're the sons of Zebedee, that's their dad. But Jesus calls these guys the sons of thunder. Now, as great of a name as a rock band as that is, and as cool as that moniker may sound, it's not really a compliment. Uh, it's more of a, hey, you, you guys have some serious weaknesses here in your personality, in your character, and so since you guys are connected at the hip always together, uh, you're coupled together, he gives them this name, Sons of Thunder. And really the reason that Jesus gives them this nickname is because of sort of some of their weaknesses of their character, which is what we're going to look at for a majority of our time together. We're going to look sort of like we did with Peter a couple weeks ago. They had a lot of negative traits. They had a lot of baggage they had to work through. And what's interesting here, today we're going to look at three accounts from these brothers that, that point out a different part of them, a negative trait or multiple negative traits of them. What's interesting that I just realized even earlier today was one of them is from Matthew, one of them is from Mark, and one of them is from Luke. It's funny that John, who wrote the book of John that we're talking about today, he doesn't mention these stories. He doesn't mention these accounts where he's seen in a negative light. You read about him when he writes about himself. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. He was the first one to get to the tomb on Easter. You know, he was kind of Jesus's little kid brother sort of thing. They were very close, and he was kind of the favorite. That's how John writes about himself. It's funny that the other three, they talk about sort of the uh, maybe a less polished version of John and also his his brother James. Just interesting, not saying anything about that, just something that caught my attention that I thought maybe you would find amusing. 
as well. But again, we're going to look at some of these negative traits of these sons of thunder from three different accounts from their lives. And we're going to see how Jesus used them anyway and how their time with Jesus really impacted their lives. So the first account is from the book of Luke, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. What we're going to see here is they were overzealous. Uh, They were very aggressive, and they were really unloving. This is what this situation, this account, tells us and shows us about these brothers. Let's read this together. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 51. Here's what Luke says. As the time drew near for him, that's Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went on to another village. Interesting account here of their aggression, their overzealousness, and really their unloving nature. So Jesus is traveling through a region called Samaria. If you know a lot about Jewish history or Old Testament history, Jews and Samaritans are sort of like step-siblings. There's some intermarrying at one point between Jews and non-Jews, and that's what really brought about the Samaritan people. So they worship similar to the Jews, but they're not. And they are looked at, looked down upon by the Jewish people, sort of a half-breed, if you will, not really good enough to make the cut, not Jewish enough. And so they are at odds. So much so that this, this region is kind of, you know, if you want to go north and south enough in Israel, you're going to have to pass through Samaria. But since the Jews and Samaritans disliked each other so much... If the Jews had to travel around this region, they would travel around the region. They would add a day or two to their travels just so they didn't have to travel through Samaria. But Jesus isn't like this at all. This is at least the second time it's it's said that he decided to travel through Samaria. We know that he he was nice. He was kind to the Samaritan people. Uh, We know in Luke 17, he healed a Samaritan of leprosy. We know in Luke chapter 4, he has, or I'm I'm sorry, John chapter 4, he has an encounter with a woman at, at a well in Samaria. She's a Samaritan woman. This interaction with this woman uh, broke a lot of cultural norms, but Jesus didn't care. He was there to reach people no matter what. And he impacted this woman so much that she ended up bringing him to the neighborhood. And he he stayed in Samaria for a couple of days. Other people, other Jews avoided altogether. And he stays there for two or three days. Uh, We know in Luke chapter 10, one of the most famous stories Jesus ever tells is called the Good Samaritan. He used this, this sort of looked down upon person and culture, this almost like a negative, evil type of person. We just don't get along. We clash. He makes a Samaritan the hero of probably his most famous story he ever told. The high-ranking Jewish religious officials are the bad guys, and the Samaritan is the hero, the good Samaritan. And Jesus is tra- going to choose to travel through Samaria He has people announce his coming, but they reject him. They say, just keep walking, Jesus. We don't care that you're here. And this rubs James and John the wrong way completely. 
So much so that they say, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy these ungrateful, these cruel, these wicked people? What's interesting is they're hearkening back here to a story from 2 Kings chapter 1 in the Old Testament where uh, there's a new king of Israel and then there's Elijah, the prophet Elijah. So evil King Ahab has died. There's a new king. His name is Ahaziah. Uh, So 2 Kings 1 tells a very interesting story that happens in the same region that Jesus and his disciples are in right now, okay? So in 2 Kings 1, um, Elijah, who's the the prophet, so the king Ahaziah, he has a fall and thinks he's going to die from it. So he inquires, he sends messengers to inquire of the false prophet Baal if he's going to make it or not. Somehow Elijah hears about this, and he intercepts the messengers on their way to inquire of Baal what's going to happen, if he will find favor on the king of Israel. And Elijah says, hey, I've got a message for the king. You go back to him and tell him that God says because he's rejected the true God and is inquiring of this false God, he is going to be struck dead. He will not survive this fall. Wow. Nice. So the messengers go back to the king and tell him, hey, this weird dude on our way stopped us, and he said that because you've rejected God, you are not going to survive this injury, you're going to die. And the king said, "Who? describe him to me, who is this? And they say, well, he's a weird dude, he wears a sash and a cloak, and he's like, it's Elijah, you know. And so he says, I got something for Elijah, I got something for you, bro. So he sends 50 armed guards to find and arrest Elijah for daring to speak against the king. So these 50 armed guards, they find Elijah. He's perched up on a hill, just hanging out, probably waiting for them. And they say, Elijah, come down by order of the king. We're here to arrest you. And Elijah says, guess again, bro, not happening. Here's what he actually says. He says, if I'm a man of God, then may fire fall from heaven and consume you. Guess what happens? He was a man of God. So this fire fell from heaven and consumed and killed these 50 armed guards. So back at the palace, either the king knows something's up because the guys haven't come back or he he just has a feeling. So he sends 50 more armed guards to find Elijah. They find him still there on this hill and they find sort of this crater (laughs) over here. Where'd that come from? They're about to find out because they say, Elijah, we're here to arrest you by order of the king. Come down. We're going to take you to the king. He says, guess again. He says, if I'm a true prophet, if I'm a true man of God, may fire fall from heaven and consume you. And whoosh, it does again. So then the king notices none of the other hundred dudes I've sent have come back. That can't be a good thing. He sends 50 more. And the, the leader of this, 50, this group of 50 has enough sense to know, hmm, maybe we should try a different approach. He might have seen the two craters that, where there used to be about 50 dudes in each one. So here's what he, he says. That, he says, hey, Elijah, would you have mercy on us and not kill us? <laughs> and so they're spared. But just like Elijah had said and predicted and decreed King Ahaziah because he re- the, God, the king of Israel is not inquiring the God of Israel. He's inquiring from these false gods, and so he does die. Interesting story. But that brings us back here to Luke chapter 9 because James and John are trying to recreate Second Kings. They're trying to recreate this moment in history in this same region. They're trying to call down fire from heaven. 
Well, one thing that they miss is the point of the Elijah story. Elijah is being oppressed. He's being threatened. He is, he is innocent. And so, and he, God is vindicating him through this fire from heaven. Well, they just feel slighted. They want to defend Jesus. They feel like he's been wronged and, you know, he's been disrespected. So we're going to get our vengeance on them. We're going to call down fire. They think they're in the right, but Jesus, it says, rebukes them and says, no, 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 no. We're going to show grace. We're going to have patience. You you guys need to calm down. You need to learn. You need to slow your roll. So we see here, mm, they, they, they missed it. They missed it. And Jesus gave them this opportunity to learn. The second account is from Mark chapter 9, and it reveals some different character flaws in these brothers, these sons of thunder. Uh, This story reveals the fact that they were pretty proud, pretty prideful, and they also had the flaw of what we would call elitism, elitism. And so here's quickly this account from Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 38. John said to Jesus, they're just having a conversation, and in the conversation, John says to Jesus, teacher... We saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. Moms, think back to when your kids were little, or moms, if you have little ones. One of the worst things is when kids tattle, tattletale. Mom, they did this. Mom, they did that. Mom, she looked at me funny. Mom, he poked me. I'm not touching, you know, that sort of thing. Ugh. Maybe you remember at school, the hall monitor, their job is to catch you in the act of being late to class or doing something wrong or whatever. It's like, oh, give it a break. That's what James and John are doing here. They're being the tattletale. They're being the hall monitor. They they let the power get to their head. They let their group, their elitist, Because they say, hey, Jesus, we saw this dude casting out demons in your name, and we stopped him. Aren't you proud of us, Jesus? Didn't we do the right thing, Jesus? Pat us on the back. And Jesus says, what are you doing? If they're not against us, they're for us. He's He's saying, guys, we need as many on our team as possible. We need Team Jesus to be as big as possible. He's like, if they're preaching in my name, if they're casting out demons in my name, then they're not going to rise up against us. They're not going to be part of the resistance later on that we're going to face. We need these people. He's saying, it's not just about the 13. It's not just about me and the 12 of you guys. We've got to have a broader view than this. We've got to have a bigger scope than this. We see similar things really today with different churches that have different beliefs and different people that you know that believe certain different things. Here's the thing. As long as these churches and denominations, as long as your neighbors and coworkers, they may differ on secondary issues or on other things. If we've got the main things covered, if we can agree on the essential things of faith, then why are we opposing each other? Why are we saying, well, they're not doing it like we are, so they're not doing it right. Or they're not doing it as good as we are, so we're better than them. We don't want to be like James and John here. We don't want to be elitist. We don't want to be proud. Our way of doing things is the way that we do it. It doesn't mean it's the best way or it's the only way. It doesn't mean that they're not as good if they're different or they have a different political view on certain things. Oh my goodness, who would have thought, right? It happens. It's okay. Again, as long as the essentials of faith are covered, 
then let's, let's just work together here. Team Jesus, let's go Jesus, let's do this thing. So we even today want to fight these sort of negative things in our own heart, with our own attitudes, with our own lives, like James and John did here about pride and elitism. It's not just about our way is the best way or the only way, and their way is different, so it's bad or wrong. Let's, not, let's, let's try to pump the brakes on that and learn from their mistake, learn from their over-eagerness to judge, and, and let's just, again, try to be more loving than they seem to be in this case. The third account is where we get their mom involved, okay? Mama gets involved here, uh, and this is in Matthew chapter 20. Um, she, she gets involved in their business and their affairs, maybe because they asked her to. We don't know, but here's what happens. Matthew 20, starting at verse number 20, here's what happens. It says, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, so Mrs. Zebedee, all right, she came to Jesus with her sons, so they know she's doing this. She's not going behind their back here. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen." Now, I know, moms, you can, you can empathize here with James and John's mom because I know that you would do anything for your kids, okay? You would, do in, you would bend over backwards. You would, you know, maybe stretch the truth to protect them. I mean, you wouldn't do anything illegal, right? I mean, maybe you would. Super mom, right? I don't know. But you would do anything for your kids, right? And you probably have done just about everything for your kids. That's what their mom is doing here. She's doing their dirty work. Now, again, we don't know why she's chosen. We don't know her motivation for this. You know, maybe around the house, she's heard James and John say, oh, man, you know, I wish we, may, I wish we could find a way to make sure that we're going to be way at the top in, you know, his kingdom. And she's like, just ask him. And, but they won't, you know, they're kind of weasels. And so she's like, fine, if you won't do it, mama will do it for you. If I, I have to do it myself, you know, maybe that's what happened. Maybe this was her idea. Maybe she's saying, hey, you guys are destined for greatness. You guys need to make sure that you get in with Jesus tight. You need to make sure. You need to assure yourself that you're going to have places of honor in his kingdom. You need to find out. So maybe she just decided, let's go talk to him about it. Let's go find out. You know, maybe they've been begging her to do it. Mom, 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 will you talk to Jesus for us? Hey, mom, will you talk to Mr. Jesus? To, you know, will you, will you? And she's like, no, no. But like most parents, she has a breaking point. And they bug her about it so long. And they pester her about it for so long that she finally just said, okay, boys, we're going right now to talk to Jesus. We're going to go talk to him and get this thing settled one way or another. We don't know what the motivation was. We just know that she came with James and John to basically put Jesus in a corner because the other disciples are there too. They're all, it's not like she pulled him aside, had a private conversation because verse 24 says, when the other disciples heard this, they were indignant. They were angry. They were like, how dare you guys? And you got your mom in this. Like, what a dirty move, bros. Like, seriously. 
But still, they got their mom involved, and she did the dirty work for them. But the response of Jesus reveals, again, this part of their character. He says, hey, this is not my decision. This is my dad's, this is dad's decision. He's going to decide uh, who gets what position. It's not up to me. And then he says something very similar to what he said to Peter. Remember a couple weeks ago, Peter says, Jesus, I would, I'm ready to die for you. And he's like, you're not ready to die for me. You're going to deny me. He says something similar here to James and John. He says, you're not ready to drink this bitter cup that I'm about to drink. You're not as, as prepared as you think you are. You want to be number one and number two or 1A and 1B? You're not ready yet, okay? You're not there. And so just don't, don't be asking for things that you have no idea and what you're asking and no business to be asking in the first place. It kind of puts them in their place. What we see here in their character, this flaw here, is the opposite of Andrew that we talked about last week. You remember last week we talked about Jesus had a top three, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew's number four, but he was very, he was okay with his position. We don't see a lot of, we don't see him coming to Jesus saying, hey, can we have a top four, please? He didn't get his mother involved to say, hey, mom, would you beg Jesus to let me into the club, the, the cool kid table at lunch? Andrew's content. He's fine. He's happy. He, he does his part. But these guys, who are in the top three, they are discontent. That's really one of the negative traits here. They're over-competitive, right? They are over-analytical and thinking about where they rank and how important they are and how important they want to feel. It's negative character trait, again, built upon other ones we've already seen. Uh, and so this is what we see here. So many negative, selfish, really sinful character traits in these guys. But what's interesting is at some point later on, there's a switch in James and John. There's a shift that happens. Because as you read later on, what you find, we don't know much about James after his time with Jesus because what we can tell is he is the first of the 12 disciples who are martyred, who are killed for their faith. He's the first one. So Ready or not for the bitter cup Jesus talked about, here it comes for James. It says in Acts chapter 12, he was beheaded, he, or he was killed by a sword, which we would assume would mean he's beheaded. One of, a, one of the cool stories of early church history from an early church father um, gives us more insight into the martyrdom and the death of James. It's very interesting, and it shows a, a switch or a shift in his heart, in his attitude, in his character. So what we read is he's been sentenced to death by the authorities. And it, the story goes from this early church father, as he's being led to his death, he's basically com conversing with the guard leading him to his death. And he's talking to him about faith in Jesus. So much so that it, this guy writes that this guard gives his life to Jesus on the way to the beheading of James, and they both are beheaded for their faith. There's a shift here in James that we can see that's not really obvious, but I think is there, because the James that we've been reading about and talking about, he probably would have tried to attack this guy and go free. He would have tried to beat him up or call down fire and judgment on him, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he preaches the gospel to this guy on the way to his own death. Another thing that James, that we've talked about so far, 
would be in line with his character is he, even if this guy would have said, I'll give my life too, he probably said, no, this is about me. This is my moment to shine for Jesus. I'm going to be the only one dying today so I can go down in the record books as being the first disciple to give his life. But he, de- he doesn't do that. He says, yeah, let's do it. The more the merrier. Let's give our lives and our heads and everything for Jesus. So what happened to change James so much? Similar change to his little brother, John. John, who was hot-headed, wanting to call down fire from heaven to kill people, wanting to, you know, judging others, impatient, sort of, you know, uh, quick-tempered, sort of young John. He switched too, because when you read some of his writings, you're like, this can't be the same guy that we read about in these other, these other gospels. This can't be, the, this is the same John, but it is. Uh, things like First John, John 3.11, John writes this later in life, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. And then down to verse 18, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. So we see John here is loving, compassionate. He's a softy now. Like, he's not the same guy. He's not the comparison game playing, judgmental, hot-headed, short-tempered John that we read about in some of these other accounts. What happened to change John so drastically? And then later on, 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Again, John here seems very soft, very different, very much more humble of a person. What happened to James and John? Where did this switch take place? How did this switch take place? Why did this switch take place? The answer is very simple. Okay, nothing huge here, but it is profound. The change was simply that they matured in their faith in their character, in their view of life, in their view of where they fit in the grand scheme of things. They just simply matured. And on this Mother's Day, that's what all moms want for their kids, right? It's what all parents want for their kids is to see maturity, to see progress, to see that they're not obsessed over the same simple things that they were five years ago, ten years ago. They've matured. They've progress. That's what we all want, and that's what we see here from these disciples. You see, their, their time with Jesus seemed to have changed them. That was the catalyst. It was what grew and matured them. Because we see in all three of these accounts, when we look at their negative character traits, we see each time Jesus rebuked them. He corrected them. He used it as a teaching opportunity. No, we're not going to call down fire from heaven on these people. We're going to show grace to them. We're going to be patient with them. Uh, No, we're not going to be elitist and just say, well, if it's not in our group, it doesn't really count. No, whoever is not against us is for us. Yay, Team Jesus. You know, no, we're not going to be so consumed and worried about where we rank, and we're not going to do that. We're just going to be faithful to do what what we're supposed to do. Every time, Jesus took it as an opportunity to have them mature, have them grow. And even for these guys, even for these stubborn, prideful, hot-headed guys, it eventually stuck. may have taken a while. It may have been kind of a slow, agonizing process for them. But eventually, as we see, it stuck. 
it took, they changed, they matured, they grew up. And this is what all disciples should see in our lives. If we're followers of Jesus, we should see maturity in our faith. We should see growth in our faith. We should see spiritual progression as part of our experience. We shouldn't be at the same spiritual level that we were when we first became a Christian. We should see growth, development, and maturity. We should see that we're not struggling with the same little things all the time, but that we've grown past them. We've moved on to different things. We're not caught up with the same worries and cares that we were years ago, but we have matured in our faith to trust Jesus even more, to put our faith and confidence in Him even more. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And there's a few more verses I want to reference. I'll put the reference on the screen here. So if you want to look these up uh, later, you can. But here's some other verses quickly that talk about the importance of spiritual maturity. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, I pray that God would continually fill you with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that you would grow in your faith. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in Christ and strengthened in your faith. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 says that we should move beyond elementary teaching and move into maturity in our faith. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, Peter says that we should grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 8, Peter says, hey, add to your faith so that you are effective and productive in and through your faith. We should, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, disciple simply means learner. As we learn, we should grow from what we learn. As we learn, we should progress in what we've learned. As we, like James and John, learn what our weaknesses are, we should learn how to maybe try to overcome them better how to not let them trip us up so often, so easily in the future. We should always be growing, progressing, and maturing in our faith as James and John did. It is a process, but it is possible. The life of a disciple is all about growth and progress. Let, let, me, give you this, let me give you a couple of examples. So for me, there were certain views that I held or beliefs that I held, even spiritually, about life 15 years ago that I have matured in, I've grown in, I've adapted, I've moved beyond certain ways of thinking that were just immature. They were short-sighted. They were just not maybe always completely accurate. That's good. That's healthy. That's normal. That's what we should all be striving to do is growing and maturing in our faith. Let me give you one specific example. So uh, for me, so First semester of Bible college, freshman coming in, kind of like James and John, very zealous, very serious about faith, about ministry, maybe a little too obnoxious, maybe a little too feeling like I knew more than I did. That's what all probably 18-year-olds are like, okay? We're just obnoxious, so we just need to get over, okay? 
So early in the first semester, I mean, we're talking just a few weeks in, there was an occasion on, on, in our dorm. So a couple, a room across the hall, down the hall, there was a group sitting outside watching a, th- something on TV together. And there were some, some guys on my hall who were like, like spraying water, like splashing water out on these people who were just minding their own business. So th- this caused like some arguing, some fighting, some screaming, some disagreement, and it got louder. And I'm in, I'm in my dorm room. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just minding my own business. But so this goes on and on. And all of a sudden, I hear the screaming is now in the hall, like outside my door. So I kind of poke my head out, and I see this one kid, who's a student who's been outside. He is screaming and yelling and cursing at these other kids, these other students, Okay. And so me, being like James and John, thinking I'm in the right, I get myself involved all of a sudden. And I say, what are you doing? And I look at this, this guy, and I say, who do you think you are? Like, you're, you're using this kind of language at a Bible college? Like, you're behaving this way at a Bible college? And he said something like, I'm a senior, and I can do whatever I want, and it's their fault, and they're the problem, and they're causing trouble. And I'm like, I don't care who you are. So it's, and I even remember saying, it's even worse that you're a senior, because you're going to be out there in ministry in like eight months, and you behave this way? Seriously? And I said, here's what I said. Here's how I ended the conversation. I said, dude, you need to get saved. Now, if that's not like James and John, I don't know what is, but it was immature, okay? Now, like James and John wanting to call down fire from heaven, I thought I was in the right. I thought I was justified, but I behaved in an immature way. My actions weren't justified because of my motives, okay? It was still wrong. Now, the students who were, who were causing trouble, they were wrong. This student who was behaving inappropriately, he was wrong, but guess what? I was just as wrong. I was just as immature in my own faith. Now, luckily, I've matured some, I think, uh, in the 15 years since that moment, and that's how it should be. Like, I shouldn't react that way because I know it's not appropriate. I shouldn't say those types of hard-cutting sort of statements because they're not, it's not right for me to do that. Not right for me to judge someone's motives or his heart or anything like that. So we should all have room for improvement. We should all grow and mature. It's part of what we do. The question as we close very quickly is how, how do we do that? And really, it's the same way that I believe James and John matured, the same exact way. That includes more time with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more time you spend in scripture, learning more about him, being challenged in your own faith and your own beliefs and your own way of thinking and living through scripture, through prayer, just like James and John, I believe we'll be empowered, encouraged, enlightened to mature in our faith, spending more time with Jesus. Having a teachable spirit is huge in this. If you're not willing to change, you're not going to change. If you think you know everything right now, you're not going to mature. You're not going to progress. We have to be teachable. We can't be stubborn know-it-alls and be st- stuck, you know, dig our heels in and say, nope, I know it all. I'm not going to change, not going to adapt. I know best. I know better. I know better than you or anybody else. Nope. That's not a way to maturity. That's not. So we want to be teachable in our spirit. And then similarly, we want to know and accept our limits. Know our limits and accept them and try to grow and mature and change. So I I need, I know I need to mature, but I have to want to mature. I know that I need God's help in spiritual growth, but I need to accept 
God's help in this process of spiritual growth. I need to know my limits and accept them and be willing to grow and mature. And as we do that, here's the cool thing. Here's my prayer as we close. My prayer is is that as we are teachable, as we spend more time with Jesus, as we learn more about ourselves, as he points out those character flaws that we all have, those weaknesses that we all have, as we say, Jesus, help me. Help me to mature. Help me to grow beyond this point. Help me to overcome this struggle. Help me to deal better in other situations. Help me to learn from my mistakes and my failures. As we do that, we're going to be so much better followers of Jesus. We're going to be so much better disciples of Jesus. We're going to be more effective, more powerful followers of Jesus. And that's the point. Maturity is going to make us better, more effective followers of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would help us to grow and mature in our faith. God, I pray that maybe we see a bit of ourselves like I know I have in James and John. So I pray that as I see myself in their negative attributes, that I would begin to do the things that they did to see the positive outcomes from their life to see the change, the progression, the maturity that they experience. God, help me to be aware of my own weaknesses. And God, I pray that I'd be willing to let you expose those things and clean those things and make me better tomorrow than I am today. Make me more committed to you tomorrow than I am right now. God, I pray that for all of us watching and listening today, that we would follow you more closely day by day. Have more of a heart that wants to spend time with you. More of an attitude that wants to be teachable. More of a spirit that wants to grow and mature. Otherwise, I'm going to get stuck and stagnant. Otherwise, I'm going to be an immature Christian. I'm never going to grow, never going to progress, and really not be much good. Because the point is that we grow to help others grow, that we mature to bring others alongside of us to do life together, to mature together, to be more effective followers of Jesus, to share your love, your faith, your grace, your gospel with those. And that becomes more empowered as we become more mature. So I pray you would help us to have a teachable spirit have a willing heart, have a humble spirit to say, okay, God, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. I have flaws. I have weaknesses. I need to mature. Help me, guide me, strengthen me, and empower me to be a more mature disciple now than ever before, and a more mature disciple three months from now than I am now, six months from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. Help us to never be content with where we are, but to always want to grow and mature and and just know more and more of you to help others to know more about you as well. Help us to mature in our faith, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Hope it's a great day and great weekend for you. And I hope to see you again next week for First Century Church Online. God bless you. Have a great week.